Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! everyone. Welcome to another Search for Truth Bible study. I'm Pastor Young and uh, so glad that you uh, could join me in another look at His Word. Uh, Whether you're tuning in on YouTube or whether you're listening to this via podcast, I want to let you know how much I appreciate you listening and uh, I, I pray that these Bible studies bless you. Today we're going to uh, take a look at David versus Goliath and the actual battle scene. Now, as usual, uh, I would not be doing my job if I did not spend some time comparing and contrasting David's perspective versus Saul's perspective. Um, it's very, it's very important that we realize that God selects David not simply out of favoritism, but God selects David because as I mentioned yesterday, the Lord is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of principles. And so uh, that only helps us though, if we understand what principles God is looking at, what principles uh, does the Lord uh, prioritize, you know, whenever it comes to who's going to be used and who's going to be rejected. And and I know that we don't like to think in those terms, but we need to. Uh, I, can be, I can handle being rejected by people as a pastor uh, and specifically having the role that I have in uh, First Pentecostal Church of Wichita. My job it is literally what puts food on my table. What I am paid to do uh, is I am paid to go to doorsteps and to knock on people's doors and uh, and to witness to them and to ask them if they would like a Bible study and to try to reach them with the gospel. I am I am literally being paid to be uh, an in-house evangelist basically. And if you if you have that ministry, you have to not be afraid of rejection. You have to be able to have doors slammed in your face. You have to be able to handle the people that say you know, I, I don't like your church or I don't like, uh, you know, I, I don't like, um, you know, the way that y'all do things. And, you know, and I've had people that have that have said that, honestly. And uh, some of them I, we still ended up reaching and some of them, you know, they invited us to never come back. So, you know, you, you have to think in terms of rejection um, and acceptance. Um, and and uh, so let's look at let's look at the principal difference here. OK. So I'm going to pull you back again to a previous lesson where I talked about Saul's handling of the Amalekites. Remember that God commands him way back and he says, I want you to totally wipe them out. I want you to uh, kill, kill all of them, right? And Saul uh, uses his discretion to determine 
how much of the Amalekite force, how much of the Amalekite people uh, is actually a threat. Uh, and, and he decides that, that that's really going to be up to him. It's up to his discretion. This is the principle uh, that, that leads Saul down the pathway to rejection. And what eventually uh, causes God to anoint someone else for the Spirit of God to come upon David rather than Saul. And as we covered in the last lesson, who's fighting for you, um, I discussed how when the Spirit of God came upon David, that's synonymous with the Spirit of God left Saul. And so these things are important for us to consider. I want you to remember that Saul discerns what is a threat and what isn't. Okay? Now, um, we're back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, okay? And uh, I don't think I have to set up the Goliath challenge again for you. Um, I'm curious to, to know if you can hear the thunder because uh, we're experiencing some uh, kind of crazy weather here in El Dorado. Um, but anyways, I, I don't think I have to set it up all over again. You know, we have, we have this giant that is, uh, that is shouting out, uh, send me a man. And uh, as I mentioned very briefly yesterday, this is called champion style warfare. And the way that this works, um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of be talking uh, about some historical approaches to warfare and how the story fig, uh, figures into that, but the way that champion-style warfare works is exactly the way it sounds. Um, this was actually common. Um, you, had, you had two manners of people. Uh, you have opposing sides. They all set up on, uh, on opposite ends of, of a valley. And uh, the battles always tend to happen in a valley. Uh, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to battle up a mountain. Um, there's a message there probably. But uh, anyways, they, they, the two armies would face each other on opposite ends of the valley. And, uh, and they would choose their strongest man uh, each side. This is called their champion. Okay, so this, if you're wondering, that's why in 1 Samuel 17 verse 4, it specifically calls Goliath, there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. Okay, it is because the Philistines decided Goliath is the best we've got. Okay, now I want you, I want you number one, to, if you're taking notes, you need to put that down. Goliath is not some puny guy, uh, you know, in, in, his, in his social standing. In fact, most theologians agree that Goliath was one of the five lords of the Philistines. Uh, so he was a leader among the Philistines. But moreover, he was their champion. He was the best that they had. Okay, that's important. So Goliath comes out, and this is how champion warfare works. The two champions are going to face off, and uh, that is in place of all of the others that are on the uh, that are in the battlefield. Okay, champion warfare. You put all of your eggs in your champion's basket. Okay, so the Philistines, they're not going to fight. Okay, they're not going to fight. Uh, the Israelites, <laughs> they're definitely not going to fight. What you see is that, is that the Israelites end up hiding themselves uh, 
you know, in formation. They hide, the, they hide among the crowds and they hide. It's interesting to me how they have a king, Saul, who when it was his moment to come forth, he's hiding among the, among the stuff can't be found. And now whenever it is his servants and his, uh, his military, when it, it, when it is their time to come forth, they're all hiding. Um, okay, so, so what happens? Um, Goliath shouts out, send me a man, okay? And I want, you, I want you to see what he specifically says. Verse 8 of chapter 17. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you are servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you. And pay attention to this, highlight this if you need to. It says, and and let <coughs> and let him come down to me. Okay? Let him come down to me. And then he presents the wager. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. If I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us, etc. Okay? So, Goliath, and, and you can also tell, by the way, uh, in, verse, in verse 5, it begins to describe Goliath and the armor and the things that he's wearing. He's wearing a helmet of brass. He's armed with a coat of mail. Um, his, his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, greaves of brass upon his legs, so like, you know, the, the things that protect your shins and, and all of that. A target of brass between his shoulders. Uh, a staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spearhead was 600 shekels of iron, and there was one that was carrying his shield that went with him. Okay, so uh, this, is, this is quite interesting to me. Um, because this describes a particular type of soldier, okay? Um, let's, I'm going to come back to that, okay? Um, but let's now turn our attention towards David. Yesterday, I, I talked exclusively about Saul. Uh, today, I really want to focus on David. And I know, the, let the church say, hallelujah, amen. All right, so David, here's Goliath's challenge in verse 23. And uh, David is like, who is this reprobate, redneck-looking, you know, hillbilly, two-teeth-having, spear-chunking? Who is this piece of garbage that he would defy the armies of the living God? David is offended for, for God's sake, you know? Um, David, is, David is offended on behalf of the Lord, and he's saying... And that's what he means whenever he says in verse 29, and David says, what have I now done? This is in response, by the way, to an accusation by his brother. You've only come here out of naughtiness, uh, you know, and, and that's a whole other lesson, but I'm, I'm probably not going to end up teaching that. Uh, and, and David's response now is, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Okay, da what David is saying right there is he has provoked us enough for us to fight. There is a cause. There is there this battle is worth fighting. That's what David is saying right there. All right? So, uh, he he tells everybody, "I'm I'm going to fight this joker. I'm I'm going to I'm I'm going to whoop him, you know?" Now watch whenever Saul uh, whenever Saul calls for David in verse 31 and David 
replies in verse 32. Now we're going to start comparing and contrasting Saul's handling of his enemies versus David's handling of his enemies. And these are the principles that God respects. Okay, That's why this is important, so pay close attention. Verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Once again, uh, just oh, you're seeing this pattern, I'm sure, by now, that Saul is only measuring things by the flesh, not by the Spirit. Verse 34, This is the principle that God admires in David. This is what the Lord is able to use. David begins to discuss his past victories. He begins to discuss the things that he has already come through. Okay, And in this, it reveals to us why God is able to use David to kill Goliath and not Saul. David said unto Saul, watch this, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and they took a lamb out of the flock. So we have a confrontation with a lion and with a bear. And I went out after him. Now watch this. You, you might want to highlight this or underline this. I went out after him, and I smote him, and I delivered out of his mouth. Okay? So, look, I, let's, let's just talk about how we're approaching this. David sees that there is this imminent threat towards the sheep, uh, much like the Amalekites. Okay? I want you to compare right now how Saul handled the Amalekites versus how David handles the lion and the bear. Okay? Because these are the principles that God is going to use to qualify and disqualify. David sees an imminent threat to the sheep. It is a lion and it is a bear. The, he says, I smote them. Now, smote is, does not equal kill. Okay? Smote means to strike. Now, there can be a time whenever that is a death strike, a coup de grace. You know, the, it, that, that is possible. However... What we see is that David hit the lion, he hit the bear, and it did not kill them. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Give me just a second. Okay? He said, I smote them. He said, and I delivered that lamb, I delivered that, that, that sheep out of the mouth of the lion and of the bear. Okay? But watch this. The bear and the lion are not dead. How do you know? The very next sentence. It says, and when he rose against me. Okay, so let me translate this. David says, there was an imminent threat. The lion and the bear came against my sheep. He said, I smote the lion and I smote the bear and I took the lamb out of its mouth. And for many people, they would have said, mission accomplished. Let's walk away from this and let's talk about how good we did. And let's talk about how we won the battle. And, you know, the sheep is still safe. And, I mean, hey, what's the use in extra violence? What's the use in, in me going further into this battle? But the lion and the bear were not dead. And so David, seeing that as long as that lion lives, there's going to be a threat to my sheep. As long as that bear lives, there's going to be an imminent threat. And so he says, when they arose again, after I smote them, after, when they arose again, he said, I caught him by his beard and I smote him 
and slew him. The principal difference between David and Saul's approach to battle is that David is willing to make the kill and Saul is only willing to smite. Okay? Now, he's saying that is proof. That is proof because verse 36, he compares them now. Thy servant slew. I killed them. I didn't just smite them. You see, if you're not making this connection, let me make it for you. Saul was content to smite the Amalekites, but not to slay the Amalekites. He was content to strike them, but to leave the imminent threat alive because he had decided that if I smite them and deliver the lamb out of their mouth, that's enough for me. David, though, on the other hand, is this Messiah figure. He is saying it is not enough that I come and have just a partial ministry, that I come and that I heal a few sick folks, but I leave that imminent threat out there. That's not enough. I've got to go all the way to death. I hope you're seeing this, that this is a mirror image of Messiah, right? That there is, in fact, the book of Amos uh, refers to the good shepherd, right? And, uh, and, and this, of course, is going to be Jesus. This is going to be the Messiah. And, and he, says that, he says that there's, uh, you know, what a good shepherd does is he salvages the lamb out of the mouth of the lion. Amos says, even if it's just a, a leg and a piece of an ear, the good shepherd says, there's enough of you left for me to save. There's enough, for, there's enough left of you that I can do something with this. It's Ezekiel 16. The Lord says to Israel, He says, whenever I found you, you were cast out into the open field. Uh, you, you were, nobody bathed you. Nobody, uh, nobody cut your umbilical cord when you were born. Nobody, nobody uh, comforted you. Nobody swaddled you. Nobody held you. He said, when I found you, you were cast out in the open field. There was nothing left of you. He said, but whenever I saw you in your blood, I said unto you, live. Because he's the good shepherd. Uh, in Job, uh, Job is, is referring to the vine dresser and the gardener. And he says, you know, uh, he, says, uh, he says, God is kind of like that good gardener that he's walking about and he sees a tree that is cut down. And he says, yet, yet, even whenever the tree is cut down, that good gardener sees that and knows that at the scent of water, that cut down tree is able to sprout again. What I'm saying is that the Lord is that good shepherd. He is the potter that works with the marred clay. He is the vine dresser and the gardener that is able to work with a bunch of stumps like us. Uh, David mirrors that, you see, that, that the bear and the lion, they are symbolic. Uh, uh, they are symbolic of sin and of the world's system and our carnality and and. When, when they had us, the sheep, the lambs of God, when, when, he had, when they had us in the jaws and, and whenever they were pulling us away, that good shepherd came running. This is, this, you see, when, whenever he says, wouldn't a good shepherd leave the 99 and go after the one, 
I want you to see that it is more than just a sheep that has wandered off and is lost because that's, that's just an uncomfortable sheep. What he's, what he's referring to is the danger that a sheep can get into, the danger that a lamb can get into whenever it wanders off. And the Lord is, is willing to face the lion and willing to face the bear and willing to pull us out of the mouth of that enemy, even if it's just a piece of an ear, even if it's just a leg. He said, there's enough of you left to save. There's enough of you left to salvage. And, and folks, I'm glad about that because the Lord saw me and I was incomplete and I was in the mouth of the lion and the Lord looked at me when I was in my blood, whenever I was incomplete, when I was on the brink of death, the Lord looked at me and said, I, you're not complete. It's true. You're, you're not strong. It's true. You're lost right now. You wandered off. That's true. But there's enough of you left for me to save. And the Lord was not content just to slap the lion on the wrist and say, give me my sheep back. But the Lord was willing, like David, to say, it's not enough. I just smite it. I got to slay it. I'm going to go all the way to the brink of death. David says, this Philistine shall be just like one of them. And you see, the Lord Jesus, he is, he is taking us out of the mouth of the lion. And, he's, and David is saying, this Philistine is just like another lion. He's an imminent threat. He's like another bear. He's an imminent threat to the people of God. He's an imminent threat to, you, to the sheep that the Lord is going to entrust me with. And so I'm going to go all the way to the brink of death. Now, now, Saul in verse 38. I mentioned this yesterday, and I told you I'd go deeper today, and I am. Verse 38, Saul armed David with his armor. Okay, listen to the description, and I want you to remember as it described Goliath. Saul armed David with his armor. He put a helmet of brass upon his head. He put a coat of mail. Are you seeing this, folks? He gave him a sword and his armor. And what, what's happening is Saul, because he operates in the flesh, Saul is equipping David to match Goliath. Whenever the Lord has never intended for us to match our enemies. Let me, let me go a little further here. Saul is equipping David to fight Goliath on Goliath's, on Goliath's turf. Saul is equipping David to fight Goliath on Goliath's terms. Goliath was armed in the flesh. He also had a coat uh, of mail that, that hung on him. And he also had uh, a helmet uh, 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 a helmet, uh, check verse 5, it was literally a helmet of brass, just exactly like Saul equips David with. Because Saul perceives things in the flesh, he equips David to fight in the flesh. Now, I mentioned this earlier, that, that, uh, that whenever you read the description of Goliath and his equipment, you can tell what type of soldier he was. Okay, I'm going to break this down. Uh, there were three different types of military men, three different types of soldiers during this time period. Okay, the first of which uh, that I want to talk about because it's none of the, it's neither David nor Goliath, so I might as well mention it first. The first is the cavalry men. Okay, 
cavalrymen. These are, these are mounted horsemen. Okay? Sometimes they would be pulled in chariots. Sometimes they would be, but the point is they were very mobile. All right. And so what they would typically have is they would have, uh, they would have a sword, uh, maybe a really long spear. Uh, if they were on a chariot, they would have a driver. Uh, although that type of warfare is more towards Egypt, but, um, but we don't see, we don't see chariots with, uh, anymore, at least with the Philistines. Um, but we have horsemen. Okay. These are mounted on horse. Goliath doesn't have a horse. David doesn't have a horse. So that's not, that's not them. Let's, next, let's talk about Goliath. Goliath being equipped with a helmet of brass, being equipped with a coat of mail, being equipped with a target between his shoulders, and that's, that's like a you know, backside breastplate, basically. He's, he's girded you know, all the way up uh, you know, his shins, up to his knees, um, with greaves. He's, he's, uh, the Bible says he has a spear that's like a weaver's beam, and he's got a sword, and he's got uh, somebody that is carrying his shield. These things tell us that Goliath was a champion foot soldier. Okay, so what that means, let's let each each of the different types of soldier had a different strategy in battle. The horsemen, the chariots, they would they would do drive-bys literally. So they would typically they would have light armor, but they would have armor on, um, and uh, and they would have a long spear. And they could reach out from that chariot and, and jig people with that spear as they rode by. Occasionally, they would have a sword, you know, if the spear didn't work out. But, that, but that's it. They would have very light armor because they want the chariot to be light or they want the horse to be light so that they can ride as quick as they can. Um, Goliath is not interested in being lightweight. Uh, his strength is in his size. His strength is in his... Uh, and so he doesn't need to be extremely mobile. So because of that, the foot soldier would wear very heavy armor. It would be... They would have a, a coat of mail. They would have the brass helmet. They would have the target. They would have the shield in one hand because they need a shield. The horsemen didn't carry a shield because they, there's no need for them to carry a shield. They, they're, they're all offense. Now... The foot soldier, he's going to carry a shield or he's going to have a squire carry the shield for him. He's going to carry a spear. He's going to carry a sword. And uh, he is an expert in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So this is why, if you turn back with me to verse uh, when the challenge goes forth. In verse 8, I pointed that out. I told you to highlight it. He says, choose you a man for you. Let him come down to me. So because Goliath is an expert, like I said, in hand-to-hand -hand combat, Goliath is saying, if you fight on my terms, you're going to have to come to me. You're going to have to, okay, you come to me. Now, that, that was Saul's plan. This is why Saul equips David with armor. This is and by the way, this is also why David says to Saul in verse 39, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. What David is saying there, I know that a lot of times we like to say, we, you know, we, because it preaches good. We're like, you know, David said, this ain't my armor. You know, God's got my back. Well, it, technically, yeah. But really what David is saying is, 
you're trying to make me a foot soldier and I'm not a foot soldier. It really wasn't about who the armor belonged to. It was David's position in the army. It was David's position uh, in the Israeli military. And when, that's why it says I've not proved it. That means that that's not my role. I've, I've not had experience in this before. So what was David's position? David is the third type of soldier. And that is a distance artillery soldier. Uh, you might know these later on, kind of like through medieval times, as archers. Uh, that would be the equivalent to what David is. During this time in Israel, at least, David would be known as a slinger. So David, look at what he does in verse 40. This is immediately, immediately after David takes Saul's armor off. Okay, because David is determined, and this is kind of the point of the Bible study, David is determined, I'm not going to fight Goliath on his terms. I'm not going to go down to him and face him in hand-to-hand -hand combat. He'll win. I'm sorry, but he'll win. Could God do it? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm trying to show you a biblical principle here. Okay, so roll with me. David, I could put Saul's armor on, but the problem is my trust then would be in the armor. I've got to do what I've been doing. I've got to do what I have proven. And I have proven to be a slinger. Okay? Now, don't underestimate a slinger. Okay? Um, the, the, the slinger is tougher than what you realize. Because that, that distance, that distant artillery man, much like today's sniper, okay? Um, they, would, they would train and train, and especially David, considering that he was a shepherd, he, they would train, and they would throw these stones, they would sling these stones with that leather strap, and they were, they were like a sniper. They, they had pinpoint accuracy with those stones. Do I believe that the Lord guided that stone into Goliath's head? Absolutely, absolutely. But I am also saying that David had some skill in slinging, okay? Because how do I know? He's taking off things that he hasn't proved and he's, he's going to collect things that he has proved, all right? It was a custom uh, for the slingers to be able to hit whatever they wanted to hit. And I personally believe that this is what David is referring to when he talks about, I smote the lion, I smote the bear. I don't believe that the, that the initial strike was face-to-face -face with the bear, face-to-face -face with the lion. I believe that because he's a slinger, whenever he smites the, the lion and the bear, that first strike would have been with his sling and with a stone. And that was just enough to, to knock the, the beast down so that David could then get the lamb out of its mouth and then he slays him when he's face-to-face. -face. All right? I hope you see I'm going somewhere, okay? Now, <clears throat> in verse 40, uh, David took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had. A shepherd's bag. A shepherd's bag, which kept the stones, which, uh, which he had even in a scrip, and the sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. All right, now, so this is what, this is kind of a common misconception here. There's a lot of people that, that when they read this, they think that David is the underdog. But folks, you need to... <laughs> I'm going to give you a reality check here. David's not an underdog. And neither are you. 
that's what we need to wake up and realize. I mentioned this yesterday about Joshua calling, causing the men of Israel to put their feet upon the necks of the kings uh, that they overcame. And, and, and a, uh, Eglon, who pooped himself whenever uh, Ahud came in to, and, and, and stabbed him in the belly. We look at these things and we're like, why in the world would you go this far? Why not just smite them? Mm -hmm. are, you, are you making some connections? Why wouldn't you just smite them and let them be? And, you know, just, just, no, no, no. It is not enough for the Lord to just barely give us the victory. If that were the case, we would be just conquerors. But we're not. We're more than conquerors. You see, <clears throat> we... <clears throat> We, we are not intended to just barely make it. David, as much as it is beautiful Hollywood cinematic drama, as, as wonderful as that is, it's not the case. Because if a slinger was to face off with a foot soldier, no one in their right mind thought that David was going to lose that battle. The only chance that David had at losing the battle was if he put Saul's armor on and went down to face Goliath hand to hand. If a slinger, and this is what I, you got to get this, if a slinger <clears throat> gets down on the level of a foot soldier, the slinger's going to lose. If he fights Goliath on Goliath's terms, if he answers that call when Goliath says, you come to me and fight, then David is going to lose. But if David stands back, if David forms some distance between him and Goliath, and he just performs the role that he has already proven, if he performs the role that he was meant to play, no one in the world would have rooted against the slinger. It would be the same as me uh, if I were a foot soldier and, and I challenge, uh, you know, a sniper, somebody that's got, you know, a 357 rifle with a high power scope that is able to get 200 yards away from me. And, uh, and I say, you stay there and I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight you with my bare hands. No one in their right mind would root for me or no, well, no one in the right mind would think that I was going to win that. The sniper is going to win 10 out of 10 times. And so what I want you to see is that if you go into battle using what you are supposed to use, then you're not the underdog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> David goes to Goliath, not on Goliath's terms. He goes to Goliath on, his, on God's terms, okay? This is why David is able to say, uh, Dave, verse 45, David said to the Philistines, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Those are your terms, but I don't come to you on your terms. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And David begins to trash talk, right? I love that about him. I believe in trash talk. All right. And, and look, look at this. Look at this. Verse 48. I want you to remember the lion and the bear here. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. So, the, so Goliath is trying to get closer to David. This shows us that David is far away. And, and it says, as he arose and he came and he was getting closer to David, 
<coughs> David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. So they are now running towards each other. David put his hand in his bag, took a stone, and slang it and smote, not slew. Remember the lion and the bear? He smote the Philistine. He smote the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face, much like Dagon, to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and what? Slew him. <laughs> but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and he stood upon the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him. Didn't just smite him. He slew him and cut off his head therewith. And the Philistines saw their champion was dead and they fled. What does this tell us? This tells us that David was right whenever he said, this Philistine is going to be just like the lion and the bear. I'm going to smite him. Oh yeah, you better believe I'm going to smite the tar out of that boy. But I'm not going to only smite him. How many of our habits, how many of our sins, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for you. How many of our hang-ups, our addictions, we have smote them with prayer, but we've never killed them, we've never slew them? How many of our bitternesses, how many of, our, how many of the weeds that are growing up in us, how many of them have we, we've hit them, but we've never pulled them all the way on the altar? We've never killed them. We've... We've been content to win a temporary victory, but keep things in our lives, much like the Amalekites, that are going to come back again and again and again. You see, what you're doing, if you're doing that, is you're fighting in the flesh. You're fighting, you're fighting on Goliath's terms, okay? Goliath, if you fight on God's terms, then you are never the underdog. If you fight the way that God has commissioned you to fight, and that is, I don't fight in the flesh, I fight in the spirit. If you will fight on God's terms rather than the flesh's terms, you are never the underdog. Watch this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is exactly what Paul is trying to show the, the church of Corinth. All right? Um, here we go. Let's go verse... Uh, let's go per, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. This is exactly what I've been talking about, isn't it? He says, he qualifies that. How? Why? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So it doesn't make any sense for me to war if I'm going to war in the flesh. Because my weapons are not in the flesh. My weapons are not a sword and a shield and a spear in the flesh. You with me? These are, I have spiritual weapons. My my weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. Not through you, not through your ability, 
but they're mighty through God. When David uh, says to all of the people of Israel, and by the way, when he is given his big trash talk speech to Goliath, you know what he says? He says, the Lord, he said, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hands. He said, and all of Israel is going to know that there is a God in Israel because the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. Look at verse 47 back in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. You see, this is exactly what Paul is saying. The Lord saves not by your fleshly ability, but the Lord saves by his hand. The Lord saves by non-carnal uh, weapons. The Lord saves through prayer, through supplication, through fasting, through giving of thanks, through uh, immersion into his word. The These are the weapons of our warfare. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, okay, I, 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 look, you're going to lose if you go out trying to wear Saul's, that is, remember, synonymous with the flesh. If you're using fleshly strategy, you're going to lose. If you are using fleshly uh, objects, fleshly weapons, fleshly strength, you're going to lose. Uh, it, he describes in Ephesians 6 and verse 10 what the weapons of our warfare are. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is exactly what... Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians that I read for you, we don't war after the flesh. And so if we don't war after the flesh or use the flesh to war, we better make sure that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Your neighbor's not your enemy. You're, it is a spirit that is, that is against you. Uh, but uh, we, we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That kind of sounds like a giant. It kind of sounds tall. It kind of sounds intimidating. Uh, but, but this shows us that if we wrestle uh, in the Spirit, if we war after the Spirit, if we use the weapons that are not carnal, you are not the underdog, even against principalities, even against powers, even against rulers, even against spirits in high places. He says... Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. You see, truth, that is a weapon of your warfare. You, you need to take off that brass helmet and you need to put on salvation. You see, uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is a weapon of your warfare. Truth is a weapon of your warfare. Uh, your feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace is one of your weapons of warfare. Take above all, take the shield of faith. Faith is a weapon of my warfare. <clears throat> uh, that you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. 
<laughs> which is the Word of God, my salvation, knowing that I am right with God, knowing that His blood has covered me, gives it protects my mind. It's a helmet of salvation. I know I'm saved. And if I'm saved, I, I've got, I'm, I'm able to bring every thought into captivity that exalts itself against the, the knowledge of God. I'm able to say, let this mind be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus. I can say, you know, be, I'm not going to be conformed to this world, but I'm going to be transformed unto the renewing of this mind. It is because salvation is my helmet. It protects my thoughts. It protects my battlefield up here. And so, folks, if you try to navigate your warfare through carnal, uh, through carnal weaponry, you are an underdog. Above all, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. No wonder whenever Jesus is facing His own battle in the wilderness as He's being tempted after He fasted 40 days and hungered, Jesus Himself did not rely upon His physical strength. He didn't rely upon His physical power, but rather He took with Him the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And He began to smite the devil, and by the time He made it to the cross, He slew the devil. Do you have things that you have smoked? You've hit them, but you've kept them alive. And now they're limping around your life. What is limping through your life with you that you smote, but you should have killed it? What, what is the enemy doing to us? I, I'm going to speak very openly, very candidly for a second here. What is the enemy doing to us? That we as the people of God, when we have an attack in the flesh, we respond and retaliate with the exact same thing that they brought to us. We attack and retaliate in the flesh. Somebody says you don't like on face something you don't like on Facebook and you fight them back on Facebook. That's Saul's armor. That's fleshly stuff. That's fleshly weaponry. You're going to lose. You got you got uh you got enemies. You got you got people that that have set themselves against you and they use their tongue. You notice that, that the tongue is not one of our weapons. It's, it's, not, it's not mentioned here, but truth is, salvation is, peace is. But when I see the tongue in the book of James, it is an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison and it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a fire. I, you see, folks, you cannot afford to fight people the way that they're fighting you. If we could just learn that lesson. You cannot afford to fight people the way they are fighting you. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the threat that they're posing to my life. You don't know what they could do to me. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just the messenger. 
whenever, whenever accusations were hurled at Jesus by the Pharisees, he didn't hurl accusations back at them. He continued in his ministry. He looked for somebody else he could touch, somebody else he could speak to, somebody else that he could encourage. When Jesus was, was whipped, you know, whipped on his back, he didn't retaliate by grabbing the whip out of the man's hand and, you know, whew. that's what Peter tried to do whenever he cut off Malthus's ear. He, he's, he's warring after the flesh and Jesus reaches down and picks up the fellow's ear and puts it right back on his head. What? But Jesus, they're taking you captive. You see, folks, you're going to have to determine whether you are really living Christ-like or not. Because what I read is that whenever he was accused and ridiculed and whenever he was brought before and, and he was mocked, and he, he uttered not a word. He uttered not a word. The only thing that he did say was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What are the weapons of your warfare? What are you using that needs to be taken out of your arsenal? You need to determine some things that you're handling the wrong way and determine within yourself I'm not going to fight this way anymore. I pray that I've challenged you today. I pray that this word has blessed you and that it's fed you. And most of all, I pray that we could take this seriously and that we could fight not on the enemy's terms, but that we could fight on God's terms. I love all of you. I pray you have a blessed day.